The following is a message of First Baptist Richardson. For more information, please visit fbcr.org. Well, thank you, Andy, choir and orchestra. Great to hear you this morning. What a great song. And it's great to be back with you here at First Baptist Church in Richardson. I was with you a few months ago. And um, I'm actually going to preach here uh, over the next few months, three or four times. So you'll have to endure it again sometime, all right? But uh, glad to be here with you and be a part of what God's doing right here in this place. Uh, For years, our kids lived in Sherman, Texas, and uh, it was always a delight as we would drive up the highway, up 75, uh, dodging the wrecks, okay, and heading up 75 to Sherman, and always come to this place in Richardson where your church would just stand out above everything else, and that cross would be over the city. And let me just say, it's, a, it's great what you do right here, and, and I'm glad to just be a part of it. Now, I know you're used to great preaching every week, and so I'm a little intimidated by that, okay? And I know Ellis brings the word to you every week, and that's what I'm going to be trying to do. I'm also delighted what you guys do with the well. I, I want you to know, uh, Andy, Keith, staff, what y'all do to put this together, Vicki, and make it be something as a church to go forward. I don't know, think you may, may not even realize how special that is, that they're working together to help you grow in the Lord and walk together in the Lord. And, and uh, I think it's going to be a delightful four years as you go through the Word of God and uh, study the Word of God together and, and then hear the preaching every week from what you've been studying all week. And uh, I think that's delightful. Now, th- today, uh, we're going to begin at a place uh, that you're very familiar with, a story. It's in the book of Genesis. Open your Bibles if you would. Do you have your Bibles with you? It's the very first book, by the way, all right? Uh, The book of Genesis. And we're going to be looking at a guy that's very familiar. His name is Noah. Now, I want to caution you as we start this story and we delve into what's happened right here. It's very easy to begin to think that this is just a nice little children's story, okay? And and as grandparents, as parents, you read this to your children and uh, the the story of some guy with a beard and and times were troubled and sinful and and God had him build a boat, okay? And he built this boat and you see the animals going two by two and it seems so sweet and so nice. But let me remind you of something that that really is a great prelude to this story. Now listen to this statement. In the history of mankind, this is the most horrific event that has ever occurred. It is more than tornadoes in Kentucky and pandemics and fires in Colorado and all that we would see. You can add up all of the catastrophic events in the history of mankind, and, and it wouldn't compare to what you see in this story, how devastating it is that God looked out on his creation and he was dissatisfied with his creation, that he literally, we're going to read, he regretted that he had ever made mankind. And out of his uh, regret of that and out of God's judgment, uh, literally devastates the entire creation. And the story of Noah is like that. Now, I'm not telling you when you get your children and grandchildren together, you need to scare them to death with this, okay? I'm not saying that. 
because there's a great promise in Scripture that this will never happen again. But I think we always need to recognize how devastating event this is. And, and you say, Gary, do you believe uh, uh, in this story? Well, certainly, uh, Noah parked the ark in Kentucky. Did you not know that? Okay. I don't know if any of In fact, I got brought a picture of it right here and uh, parked the ark right there. And uh, this past summer, uh, Sandy and I were on a little road trip together, and we went to this. And by the way, uh, I would have to admit I wasn't that excited about going until I went. And we spent two hours, uh, planning on two hours there. We spent four, could have stayed there all day long. And if you want a little road trip for your family, something of a spiritual nature and something that will bring the word of God alive, you, you ought to go to that place because it's an incredible place. Because you see, I believe that just as these chapters in Genesis said, God told Noah to do exactly this. I don't think it's just some children's story that, that, that somebody made up. I'm convinced it's happened exactly as God's word said it did. And in fact, a great proof of that is you go over to the New Testament and you find in the roll call of faith that the story of Noah is mentioned in the roll call of faith, not, not as some mythological person or someone who might have been. It's decided that he did exist. And the apostle Peter in the book of Peter mentions it twice. But more importantly, Jesus himself speaks about the event not the story, the event of what happened with Noah. And so as we look at this, I'm convinced exactly as it says in the Word of God that it happened, but to understand this, this text or understand what we're going to be looking at today, we're going to kind of jump around a little bit because we don't have time to read all three chapters of this today. But look, if you would, in chapter number 6, chapter number 6, it begins, and the Lord saw, uh, verse number 5, by the way, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version, the Lord saw the wickedness of man, that it was great, on the earth. Now look at this next phrase. And every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only, he ought to circle the word only, was only on evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So he said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of this earth. Land, man, animals, creeping things, birds of the heaven, for I'm sorry that I've made them in this way. But verse number eight, Noah found favor in the eyes of God. And these are the generations of Noah, how he walked blameless with the Lord and, and what he did and, and, and how he was a man of righteousness. And verse number 11 tells us again that the, the earth was corrupt in God's sight and it was filled with violence. And so what you have in chapter 7 and 8 is the experience of this great flood, this experience of the devastation of God's creation. And we're going to pick up in verse number 15, chapter number 8. And after the flood, God said to Noah, get out of the ark. You, your wife, your sons, your sons wise with you. Bring out every living thing that is with you, all the flesh, birds, animals, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth and that may swarm the earth, be fruitful and multiply the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and, and the beast, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth. They went out by families from the ark. But Noah built an, then Noah built an altar to the Lord. And he took some from every clean animal and some of uh, every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on that altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intentions of a man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature. Look at verse number 22, an incredible promise in the scripture. While the earth remains, 
There'll be seed times. There'll be harvest. There'll be cold. There'll be heat. There'll be summer and winter, day and night. That shall not cease. It's an incredible promise from God. And now, by the way, God gave us a sign that that's going to happen. What is that sign? It is the rainbow. Every time we see a rainbow, it is a reminder from God that God is going to be faithful to his creation. And that rainbow for you and me is a reminder that God has promised to his creation that while I may be angry at you, there are many times I like to slap you, I'd like to take you to the woodshed. I will never, never again curse the earth in this way. And what God is saying is God is saying to us that this the world was transformed by God into the incredible world we have, and that all came out of the promise of God. Now, over this month, you have been studying about transformation and how the Word of God is to be a transforming experience in our lives. And just as God has promised that the earth will not be destroyed and that the earth will be transformed, guess what? God has made that exact promise in you and me. God has said to you and me, I want you to know that there are times that I don't like what you're doing. There's times that you make great errors. There's times that you walk away from me. There's times that you're not walking with me as Noah walked with me. There are times that you've taken the word of God and put it on the shelf. There's times you've not allowed it to speak to your heart. But just as I have transformed this creation, I want to promise you that I will always be about transforming your life. In fact, there's some incredible promises in, in the scripture related to that. It's found specifically in the book of Philippians, where in Philippians it reminds us that this God who has begun a good work in us, he says, I want you to know for sure, I will never stop that good work. I want you to know what I have begun in your soul. I promise you that I will bring it to the place of maturity. And so what that means this morning if you come to this room today, today and you would say to us, I know Jesus Christ as my Savior, well, guess what goes with that experience of him becoming your Savior? It is the promise of God that he is going to be at work within you and me, transforming our lives. You see, just as God did not want to leave the earth, devastated by the flood, that he wanted it to blossom, that he wanted there to be seasons, that he wanted there to be beauty that mankind could enjoy. Guess what? In the same way, he has promised that he would be at work within you and me, that he wants to make our lives blossom. Listen to this word, that he wants to be in the process of transforming us, making us into the image of Jesus Christ and making us the kind of person he wants you to be. This is described further in in Philippians chapter 2 and and verse number 12. It says, therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but not sore in my, my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's what that word work out means. Mature your salvation, understand it. Look at verse number 13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so this morning, if you and I have come to know Jesus, while we may be different people with different gifts and different ages and different backgrounds, we have one thing in common with every one of us. There is a creator God in charge of the entire universe who hangs the stars in place, who makes the seasons happen, that makes the seed blossom. That God has said to you and me, I'm at work 
in you. I'm at work in you to will my good pleasure. I'm at work within you to make you a life that is pleasing to me. I'm reminded as we looked in that eighth chapter when he built that uh, altar and he put that animal, it says that aroma was pleasing to God. Well, guess what God wants to do? God wants to do the same thing in you and me. He wants to take our lives wherever we live. And the Bible describes our life becoming a sweet-smelling aroma into the nostrils of God. He wants to transform us in that way. Gosh, I'm afraid as I read that, sometimes my life's not a sweet-smelling aroma to God. Uh, That there's times it's not going the directions God would have it to go. But one of the things I always know is no matter where it is, the eternal God of creation is at work in ways I could never understand. In fact, Andy, I love that song, that Waymaker song, that even when we don't feel it, he's at work. Even when we don't see it, he is at work. And that's what you and I have as a promise to you and me today, that we have a God who's doing that. Let me just give you a little picture of that. I have a friend who has one of his children that had become very wayward in in, in that person's walk with God. This young lady was living in a lifestyle that was so ungodly, and, and everyone in the family had talked, and everyone in the family had tried to convince her that she was going the wrong direction, and it was just like she'd built a shield, and no one could get through to her. And then one day, she turned completely away from that lifestyle. And everyone was shocked who, who talked to her, who, who did something, who convinced her that, that things should be different. And so one of the family members asked, what in the world happened? She said, well, I was involved in this relationship, and I recognized that, that this relationship might not be the right direction. Then I looked at many of my friends, and I looked at the way they were going, and I realized if I continued on this path, I would never have what they have. And I decided at that moment, that wasn't the pathway for me. Now, who is that at work? Who is that that brings that kind of thought process to someone's mind? It's not always some preacher or some counselor. It is Almighty God who says to you and me, I want you to know when you give your life to me, you can be promised that I will always be at work in your life, even when you don't see it even when you don't feel it. That's a promise from God. But also, as I look at this text, it's a reminder to us. Now, listen to this statement, if you would, because I think it's very important for our society. It's the fact that God is at work, no matter how difficult the times seem to be, that no matter how far away the world has gone from God, that doesn't mean that God cannot transform us in the middle of all of that. I, I know right now we... Look at the world that's around us here in the United States, and, and goodness gracious, you just pick up the newspaper and drive by shootings and the hate and the prejudice and the anger and people having road rage just because they got maybe someone got in their lane of traffic, gets a gun out and shoots somebody. And you see the immorality around us and, and, and the, the vileness that goes on and the darkness that goes on. And now listen, what that can be for you and me, that can be for you and me an excuse. We can say, well, things are so bad. That things are so bad. I, I, you know, I, I, I can't grow in the Lord in the middle of this. And this society is dragging me down. Listen, the society doesn't have to drag you down. Certainly the things around us impact us. Certainly the things around us 
color our thought process. But let me say, the very lamest excuse in the world is to blame everybody else on the fact that you and I are not walking with the Lord like we should. I'd encourage you to look in this text and you just look at the darkness that was around Noah. I read that sixth chapter, those verses. Every thought of mankind was evil. That 11th and 12th verse, the whole earth was corrupt in God's sight. The earth was filled with violence. God saw the earth and behold, it was flesh, it was corrupt. And all the flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And all of that is going on. And yet in the middle of that stands up a righteous man named Noah who stands for God and decides that he's going to walk with God whether anybody else does or not. In fact, in reading through this, in looking at his own family that was saved on the ark with him, there's really not any evidence he had a godly family, godly wife, godly friends. As you begin to look at this, you get, get the impression as you look at this about Noah's life, you begin to see that Noah was by himself. And Noah was a man in the middle of incredible corruption, incredible evil. And yet in the middle of that, we see God taking this man and using this man and transforming this man even in the middle of dark times. So I'd say to you and me today, it doesn't matter what's happening in our neighborhood. It really doesn't even matter what's happening in the Ukraine. I happened to be in the Ukraine 25 years ago to Lugansk and Kiev, and it's an evil place. I actually went down in a prison, the darkness, and I've never felt darkness like that in my life when I went down in the bowels of that prison 25 years ago. And, and you see what's going on there that is evil. But listen, that's not a time for God's people to back away not a time for God's people to go hide out someplace and, and think that, that life and witness is all over. No, it's the time for God's people to shine. It's time for righteousness to boil out of our soul and to really show the world what it means to live by faith and walk with God. And I would say to you, I, I'm convinced this is a time. This is a time for us to shine for Christ like never before. And I want to remind you of something. Our culture's never encouraged our faith anyway, okay? You're not going to find the world telling you, oh, live by faith and go to church and follow Jesus and be righteous. The world's never done that. It's never going to do that. We live in a time right now where opposition to God's ways is growing and growing and growing. But listen, that's been there for thousands of years. God's people have been opposed. And as you look around right now, the fact there's more persecution more people martyred for their faith in the last hundred years than any time in the history of Christianity. And so why are we surprised by opposition? While we in America maybe have been living a quiet little life here in our churches, the rest of the world's being martyred for their faith. And they're being condemned for their walk with God. And yet so many of them are faithful in the Lord and walk with God. And what God's saying to you and me, let's not blame difficult times for our lack of transformation and growth. In fact, it ought to be the time where our lives and our transformation becomes something that shows the world the presence of God. In fact, this is a time in the middle of darkness for us to be light, maybe like we have never been before in our lives because it becomes such a stark contrast to the rest of the world. That verse in Philippians, if we had read on, it's an incredible verse that describes some things about that. It says, listen, when he says God's at work within me, verse 14, do all these things without grumbling 
<laughs> that would help us a little bit, wouldn't it? Could we just start with quick griping, okay? Do everything without grumbling and disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in this world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ Jesus, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even myself, I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you be glad and rejoice with me. What is he saying right here? He's saying, yes, when I wrote this, you were in the middle of a crooked and twisted generation. Do you go hide out when the rest of the world is going to hell in a handbasket? No. This is a time more than ever in our life. We can be lights for Jesus Christ. And the rest of the world can see that we are different, not because of how great we are, but because of how great our God is. And that we are confident in the future, not because we hold the future, because we believe God holds the future. And Paul would say to us, as well as Noah and everyone else, this is the time for righteousness to shine out of our lives as never before and to be the people that God wants us to be, to be something that is a reflection of his presence and his power. Let me maybe picture that in a certain way. Here a few weeks ago on television, there was an athletic event that, that really intrigued the, 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 the United States. It was when Tiger Woods, uh, who's, you know, maybe the greatest golfer ever and been in that horrific accident, almost lost his leg and wondering whether he'll ever play golf again, played in a golf tournament with his son, Charlie. How many of did anybody see that golf tournament? If you didn't, you missed one of the most delightful things I've ever seen in sports in my life. I mean, here's this guy that, that can barely get around the, the, the golf course, and he's got his 12-year-old boy, Charlie, with him playing golf. Now, there they are. They're dressed alike. You just watch them. They, they walk alike. Their mannerisms are alike. Everything about it, and not only that, their golf games are very much alike. This little guy, Charlie, is, gonna be, is already an incredible golfer. And I was watching that, and I thought, you know something? Tiger decided that he was going to do for his boy what his dad had done for him in the arena of golf. He was going to imprint upon him something that, that, that was very obvious. He had come from him. And as you watched them go around the golf course, you could see, you could see the imprint of Tiger the dad on Charlie the boy. Well, guess what? I think that's what God wants to do today. I think he wants to show our world the imprint of the creator God on our lives. I think he wants to show that this relationship with God is more than going to church, more than singing in choirs and preaching sermons and doing all the activities we do. It is the creator God transforming us and putting the imprint of his character upon our lives so that when we walk out of this place, wherever we be, whatever we do, everyone would say, wow. That's what God looks like. I've seen that person live in a way that's so dramatically different. And it is very obvious there is a transforming, powerful God at work in that person's life. And I'm convinced during these days of darkness, we have the opportunity to do that like never before. Because why are God's at work? 
And he's working even in difficult times. But one other thing, and I'll conclude. As I began to look at this text, I realized that for God to be at work to transform me, listen to this. I have to cooperate with him in that transformation. Doesn't happen in a classroom. Doesn't happen by some pill we take. It doesn't happen by just sitting in a room and hoping we can become like Jesus because we are faithful to come to church. No, there's a God who wants to transform us. But we got to do what Noah did. Says in this text, Noah walked with God. This man in the middle of such darkness, such evil, such ungodliness. Was he any better than anyone else? Any stronger than anyone else? More disciplined than someone else? No. There's only one thing different about Noah and everybody else. Is he chose to walk with God. And he chose to allow the Spirit of God to transform. He chose to allow God's nature and character. I, I looked up that word transformation and, and, and what it means in, in the various languages. And it speaks of something that's been changed in form, appearance, nature, or character. Something that's been changed in form, appearance, nature, and character. And I want you to know what God wants to do. Is God wants to take the life that we live in Him and do something in our lives that is not static, but it's transforming. When you read your scriptures in the well, I love what Keith did with that. First thing you do want to know, yes, you want to know. But listen, the next thing you want to do is let God change you and obey Him. If you just get to the no part of that, My goodness, the devil even knows the Word of God. He wants you to not only be someone who knows Him, he wants you to be someone who's transformed by Him. And what he wants to do out of this Scripture that you're studying in these four years is not just give you more knowledge about the Word of God. He wants to use it to transform you and me so that we'll do the last thing, which is to go. And the reason why oftentimes we're not going is we had not got past the knowing yet. We know a lot of stuff about God. But you know something? There doesn't seem to be any transformation that is happening within us. But guess what that takes? It takes our willingness to partner with God in this. Cooperate with God in this. When life happens to us. Willingness to not just say, God, why did you let this happen? But we also ought to ask God, what do you want to do? with what's happening. And when we read the scripture, we not only want to know what he's saying to them, we want to know what he's saying to us and how he wants to change us in the midst of that process. And so today you and I have the promise of the transformation of God in this creation. And the rainbow is a reminder that he's done it in the creation. Let me tell you what is the reminder that he's doing it in you and me. It's not a bow, it's a cross. And it's Jesus Christ. And he came to this earth to die on that cross, not just to give us eternity, but in the middle of all of that, to transform us to be into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Could I ask you some questions this morning about that? First of all, do you truly believe and trust that God's at work within your life right now?
I mean, do you see evidence around your life that there's something going on here that is bigger than making money and breathing and having meals and having kids and going on vacations? That there's an eternal God at work. Do you and I believe that he's at work within us? Do you know what the greatest thing that we can know that he's worked within us? Is there's evidence of transformation. That whatever age we are, our God's not finished transforming us. We hadn't reached a place where we don't need it anymore, no. It's continuing to transform and to change us, to make us into his image. I remember several years ago, Andy, we called as our minister of music, a young man by the name of Reggie Scott. Reggie Scott's incredible, one of the greatest contemporary worship leaders. He's African-American. But he's also married to a Caucasian girl. We introduced them to our church. One of my senior adult ladies called me that afternoon. She said, Pastor, I want you to know thank you for having Reggie and his wife at our church. She said, it reminded me that I've got to change some things that I think. She said, I spent the afternoon confessing to God. Thank you for pushing us as a church to confront some issues in our lives we need to confront and confess to God. This was an 85-year-old senior adult that God was still at work transforming. As you've read through your scriptures, there's been some time that you confess acknowledge God trims away some things makes you into the person he wants you to be well God said that's what I want to do in your life I'm going to take you from where you are and I want to show the world that I'm transforming you right in front of their very eyes bow your head please with me for just a moment would you just let's take a moment just uh, before we conclude this service And let's just ask ourselves the question, Lord, have you been transforming me? Is there some evidence in my life that I'm more than a Christian consumer? Just taking in but never living it out. Would you just take a moment and say, Lord, however many hours, days, months, years you have for me, I want to cooperate with you in the transformation process that you're about in my life. And I want to see in these days what you want to do to make me like Jesus. And God, today I choose to cooperate. I'm going to walk with you. Father, thank you this day for the story of Noah. And Father, we know that ark's not in Kentucky, but we know thousands of years ago, you did it. And we want to learn from it. We want to learn from this man and experience because God, today we want to be like you. Help us to do that. Help us to do that. Father, help us to know how to cooperate with you and what you're doing. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.